Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. You know, I'm sitting here wondering, who do we really think we are? What is it about us that we are so merciful on ourselves and yet so merciless on others? Notice, less than the least, Filthy Rags Fellowship. That's the name of a new post here. I'm going to talk about it right now, friends. Let's talk about it. This is all Bible truth. And, you know, we really can't begin to enjoy the glories of the so great salvation of Christ if we don't begin to realize the depths of the depravity from which he saved us. Psalm chapter 40 speaks of God finding us and pulling us out of the miry, the wicked, stinky clay of sin. Notice Ephesians 3, 8, the apostle said this, unto me who am less than the least. Think about that one for a minute. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Notice, it sounds like Paul is saying he is less worthy to be saved, to have been found and saved and put into the kingdom of Christ and even the least of all saints. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8. You know, unlike like the self-righteous Pharisees, which we still have among us today, claiming to be Christian, the, the true disciple is authentic and honest before God and before men, and he sees himself as absolutely undeserving of and infinitely blessed to have been found forgiven and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees himself like Paul, as we just read in Ephesians 3, 8, less, notice the word less, below, less than the least of all saints. Also, that's Ephesians 3, 8, 1 Timothy 1, 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. In other words, it's worthy to be accepted accepted that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You see, when we get to heaven, we might be bantering. I would imagine it would be kind of in a joking way. I can see myself conversing with this great apostle of Jesus, the apostle Paul, and remind him of these words he spoke, that he was less than the least of all saints. And the the chiefest of sinners, and uh, remind him that he wrote those things before I was born. Do you get the point here, friends? That doesn't that doesn't infer that I'm living in open sin because I'm just not. But it 
it's a realization of the depths of the depravity that you are, that I am, outside of the saving mercy of Jesus Christ. I had a pastor one time tell me that outside of the grace of God, he is liable to commit the most heinous sins. Paul said this in Romans 7:18 that there is no good thing that dwelleth in me that is in my flesh that is outside of Christ there is nothing good that dwells in him this was after he was saved in fact in verse 24 Romans 7 the apostle said o wretched man that i am Not only was he, but is he presently, that is, outside of the saving grace of Christ. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Like Paul, we should always see ourselves as the one most in need of the great mercy of God, given us through Christ our Lord. Pour over Titus 3, verse 5 through 7 this week. And in fact, I'll read that to you. And you know, before we do that, you know, Jacob. Genesis 32.10. This is a verse of great note. I'm going to believe we should memorize. Notice this. 32.10. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. Amen. None of us are worthy of even the least of all the mercies and of all the truth that God has showed us. You know, I believe that begins to get at or is the fruit of being poor in spirit poor in spirit. Are you poor in spirit? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And of this verse, where Jacob says that he is less, less than the least, by saying, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. Amen. He pleads, John Wesley writes, Lord, I am not worthy of it, of the least of all the mercies. Here is mercies in the plural number. Notice mercies, plural. An inexhaustible spring and innumerable streams. Mercies and truth, past mercies given according to the promise and farther mercies secured by the promise. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies, much less am I worthy of so great a favor as this I am now suing for. Those are best prepare for the greatest mercies that see themselves unworthy of the least. Amen. John Wesley on Genesis chapter 32 verse 10. So, you know, I think it would do us well to ask, what good do we have that we didn't receive from the Lord our God? How about nothing? Because every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Lord. Amen. James chapter 1 verse 17. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7. For who maketh thee, Paul writes, to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou did not receive? And now Now, if thou did receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? In other words, why do you glory in it as if it is something of yourself and not a gift of God? 
that he gave you. On Genesis 32, 10, Adam Clark writes this. Now, let me remind you, Genesis 32, 10 says, I am not worthy, Jacob said, of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. Adam Clark says, I am less than all the compassions and than all the faithfulness which thou hast showed unto thy servant. Probably Satan Paul, he writes, had his eye on the on this passage when he wrote, quote, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, unquote, that we read earlier, saints, out of Ephesians 3.8. And Adam Clark finishes, he says, a man who sees himself in the light of God, that is, he's holy, 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 amen, will ever feel that he has no good but what he has received, and that he deserves nothing of all that he has. Amen. I think that's the most potent statement we could read, right? Let me read that again. The last sentence. A man who sees himself in light of God. See, we never compare ourselves among ourselves, Paul wrote. That's very dangerous. And Jesus's parables go into that where you got two men that go up to pray. Luke 18. You can look up a post on safeguardyoursoul.com called Two Men Went Up to Pray. And one of them based his so-called righteousness. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Amen. Isaiah 64, 6. But this man, very wicked man, religious, self-righteous, he based his righteousness, quote unquote, on how he compared to the guy standing next to him, the other guy praying. And he boasted of how he wasn't wicked like the man next to him. Hmm. And he prayed 34 words that God did not hear, Jesus reveals. But the man standing next to him prayed a mere seven-word prayer as he bowed his head, falling upon the mercy of God, if you will, and said seven words. He said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen. God will only honor honesty, beloved saints. When we approach God, it must be on the basis of his mercy. And that mercy flows from the cross, from Emmanuel's veins, even the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, where his blood speaks for us in heaven. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, whereby we are called to come boldly, confidently before the throne of grace if we need mercy. And we will find grace, mercy and grace, mercy for our sins through the blood of Christ and grace to help in time of need. In other words, grace, divine empowerment from God, the divine enablement working in the abiding saint to bring about a whole holy life. Amen. So again, Adam Clark says, a man who sees himself in the light of God will ever feel that he has no good but what he has received and that he deserves nothing of all that he has. Amen. Beautifully says, now Titus chapter 3, verse 5 through 7, notice this, the apostle says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we shall be 
be made heirs. We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Friends, we're talking about righteousness in this message. Whose righteousness are we walking in? The righteousness of Christ or something we think we merit. If we think we merit anything but damnation, we are of all men most deceived. You see, the cross of Christ reveals your sin and God's love. It does not reveal how wonderful you are because you are not wonderful. You, my friend, like myself, are utterly wicked. That's the testimony of God upon all men. The first three chapters of the book of Romans, the ABCs of the Christian faith, the book of Romans. Have you mastered it? Have you poured over it, read it carefully and prayerfully several times? The way you master a book and therefore the doctrinal contents of it would be to read it 10 to 20 times straight through and then come back and start studying through it. So the scripture says that Jesus Christ is wonderful. Isaiah 9 verse 6 and 7, he is the wonderful counselor among other things. But it says in Jeremiah 17, 9 of you and I, the heart is deceitful above all things and not only wicked, but desperately wicked. Who can know it? Is that beginning to seep into your heart and mind? See, Jesus died and was buried and raised again from the dead to forgive, regenerate, redeem, and grant complete victory in this life to every one of his people. Yet, we must do things God's way and no other way. Jesus judged sin on the cross. So we don't have to be judged for our sin. And so we can experience, quote, the exceeding riches of his grace, both now and forever, according to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1 and 2. What do we truly deserve in and of ourselves? What is it? Well, as I mentioned earlier, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away that is away from God because God will not cannot fellowship with unholy beings anybody who does not allow God to make them holy through worship filled loving obedience to him will have no part in his eternal kingdom God is holy 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 and the scriptures are clear and replete that God will not fellowship with anyone who is contaminated by sin. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. Neither shall evil dwell with thee. Could it be any clearer? God will not dwell with evil. Habakkuk, Habakkuk 1.13, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot canst not look on iniquity. There it is again. See, the Bible says, follow peace with all men, Hebrews twelve fourteen, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Paul writes in Philippians 3, 9, and to be found in him, notice this, not 
having mine own righteousness. Why? Because your own righteousness, my own so-called righteousnesses, are as filthy rags. I'll let you look up what that really means. It's very disgusting. Not having mine own right. Paul was concerned that ultimately he would be found in him. Was Paul doubting his salvation? No, but Paul knew that he had to endure to the end to be saved. That's what all of the New Testament teaches. And that he had to keep under his... It's an ongoing task. Jesus said the cross life, which is the only way to follow him, is the daily denial of self. Taking up the cross and following Jesus to the end. Luke 9, 23 and 24. Again, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, Paul said, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, after I've preached to others, I myself should become or be a cast away. That is one who is ultimately in the end cast away from God. Let me share a little truth with you that the eternal securist heretics don't want you to hear. They don't want to hear it either, by the way. And that's that in scripture, we see initial, we can observe that we see initial and final salvation. You may be a king's kid that's been bought by the the blood of the king Jesus, but you're not home yet. And God requires that you endure to the end to be saved. Matthew 10, 22 and 24, 13, etc. The apostles of Jesus all taught the same thing all the way through. And to be found in him, Philippians 3, 9, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, which finds us all guilty. Hello. But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Amen. And that's not a one-time event. It begins at a one-time event when you are brought to repentance. You adhere to it and comply with God's drawing, and you are born again as you put your faith in Christ, turning to the Lord and confessing that you're a sinner, and naming Christ as the Lord of your life, who died and was buried and rose again from the dead. And then from then on, God God requires that you abide in him. That's what Jesus taught, John 15. That means to remain in him, to continue with him. Or are you going to be cast into the fires of eternal damnation if you don't? John chapter 15, verse 6. Some, oh, let me stop here and say this. Some would say, oh, what? What kind of an insecure existence would that be if I believe that? See, it's all about them, you notice? It's all about them and their little feeling and their little coping in this life. They don't care about Jesus other than to think, vainly believe they're going to use him to get out of hell. That's why they won't listen to and stop and change their mind to believe the Word of God and be corrected by it. That's the whole reason for the Word of God. We've been warned about false teachers, and the only way you can be misled by them is to not get into God's word and be corrected by the word of God and hold it as the very highest divine authority of your life. Paul said, let God be true and every man a liar. Jesus says that he that is of God, hear is God's words. Amen. They're his final authority. You therefore hear them not because you are not of God. So Jesus told us that those that are of God stop dead in their tracks when they see what scripture says and it contradicts what they've been taught. John eight forty seven. Saints, we cannot 
possibly begin to appreciate this so great salvation, the writer of Hebrews called it, so great salvation, that is Christ, until we understand how lost, how hopeless, and alienated we were in our sin. Ephesians chapter 2 speaks of in detail, and Hebrews 2, 3 says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? We must study to understand the biblical doctrine of inherent sin, fallen mankind, and the old man, the fallen nature, if you will, and the holiness of God in order to begin to be able to appreciate the redemption that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, Octavius Winslow, a pastor of old, I believe, he said this, it is then we say in the successive stages of his experience that the believer sees more distinctly and adores more profoundly and grasps more firmly the finished righteousness of Christ. And what is the school in which he learns his nothingness, his poverty, his utter destitution, the school of deep and sanctified affliction. In no other school is it learned and under no other teacher but God himself. Here his high thoughts are brought low and the Lord alone is exalted. Amen. May God bless us to see just how wicked we are outside of Christ and that his righteousness alone clothes us cloaks us before a holy God. Amen. The true disciple sees himself as absolutely undeserving and undeserving of God's righteousness and infinitely blessed to have been found. He found you. You didn't find him. First John four nineteen. He first loved us. Amen. God is the great initiator. So we've been found, forgiven, and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and infinitely blessed therein. The true disciple of Christ sees himself as less, call capital, less than the least of all saints, like the Apostle Paul. He sees himself as the chief of sinners. Now, we're not talking about running around living in sin and saying that you're somehow covered by grace and that you're misusing that verse to say that you're the chiefest of sinners uh, while you're living in sin. Paul, the Apostle, said that how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Grace does not abound. Saving grace does not abound toward anybody living in sin. They are as sure for hell as if they were already there. So that's not what we're talking about here. Like Paul, we should always see ourselves as the one most in need of the great mercy of God given to us through Christ our Lord. Paul's flesh was and our flesh is in a constant reminder, the old man in us that the Bible says we are to put off and put on the new man. And that's only done by the daily crucified life, the cross. Amen. So Paul's flesh was, and our flesh is a constant reminder of the ever momentary need for the grace of Jesus. Read Romans chapter six and seven thoroughly imbue your mind with the book of Romans, the truth thereof. All I have to do to find the man most in need of God's saving grace and mercy is to look in the mirror. Amen. As long as we neglect to look in the mirror, honestly, that is, we will continue to be
be self-righteous as were Jesus' most evil enemies, the religious frauds, the Pharisees of his day, Matthew 23, etc. Are we Pharisees or are we humble, broken, honest disciples of Christ? Jesus said, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall in no wise, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Little children are innocent, they're humble, they're teachable, they lack pride completely. Okay, so if we vainly imagine that someone else's sin is more vile than our own, like the two men who went up to pray in Luke 18 we spoke about earlier, if we compare ourselves and try to act like our sin that we committed, and we've all committed sin, is less vile than someone else's. In the eyes of a holy God, this is a telltale indicator that we still don't have a gospel clue as to our own utter unworthiness, wretchedness, and depravity outside of Christ. We are of all men most deceived. James 2.10 says, if you break one commandment, you are guilty of breaking the whole law and will be condemned by it. Somebody said, well, I just did it in my mind, and no man can see that I did that in my mind. But such and such a sister or brother went out and actually did it. Guess what? You are just as guilty with your evil concupiscence, the secret desire in your wicked, unrepentant, uncircumcised heart before a holy God. And perhaps the person who went out and physically carried it out has fallen on their face since before a holy God had been completely forgiven, shown complete mercy through the blood of the cross of Christ and given the divine enabling grace of God to overcome it. And you, little church mouse, self-righteous devil, are going straight to hell, you filthy sinner. Repent and fall upon the mercy of a holy God, lest he say, depart from me, you cursed, into ever lasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. You see, Job said, quote, the triumphing of the wicked is short. A lot of folks pimping their little and primping their little church activity. How they go in there and clap their hands and sing their stupid little songs and hear their little lukewarm sermon from the pansy they call a pastor. (laughs) All the while thinking they're secure for heaven and they're going straight to hell. The Bible says that the harlots and the publicans, the street whores, are going to heaven before the self-righteous. That's what Jesus said, Matthew 21, 31. Think about this divine truth as I read it again, Job 20, verse 5. Okay, that the triumphing of the wicked is short and the joy of the hypocrite, but for a moment. If you look up the word hypocrite and hypocrites, it's all over the Bible, Old and New Testament, and it God guarantees the hypocrite will not be a part of his eternal kingdom. Amen. All hypocrites are self-righteous and they will have no part in the kingdom of Christ. You see, again, we are wicked. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17 
16:9. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And if you, if no man has seen you perform a sin, but you have the sin in your heart, you're just as guilty in the eyes of a holy God who sees everything. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they, who's they? The pure in heart shall see God. If you're not fasting and praying and seeking the face of God to clean your heart, you're not ready to meet the Lord and need to repent and go on a a fast and lay down your life in this fleeting sinful world. The Apostle Paul had his personal testimony of being saved by the grace of Christ and considered himself to be not the least, as we read earlier, but less than the least. He wasn't the least. He was less than the least. Do you think Paul really got it? Yeah, Paul got the gospel. He knew how wicked he was outside of Christ and even said it. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death, O wretched man that I am? Romans 7. When you get saved, all the evil inclinations of the flesh don't go away. Have you noticed? All of the honest people say, yeah, no doubt. See, the flesh is not something you can cast out like a devil and it's gone. No, you got to crucify it daily. Somebody says, why did God set it up that way? Why didn't he just save us and take away all the evil inclinations, the iniquities? That means the the bents, those things you're bent toward, adultery, lust, drunkenness hypocrisy, all of these evil sins, 17 soul damning sins listed in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Why? I believe, let me take a shot at that, saints, because God wants a bride, his body, his true body, that really loves him more than the alternative. Let me ask you something, sir. If you're engaged to a woman, do you want to know that she's got eyes for you and no other man? Ladies, what about you? Does the man you're engaged to to, a spouse to? Is he have wandering eyes? Is he looking at other women and lusting after them? If so, is it wise for you to go on and through with that marriage? A wise woman wouldn't do it. Now, how would we somehow delusionally think that the, the great bridegroom of heaven, Jesus Christ, is going to marry or have anybody in his eternal kingdom that doesn't have eyes only for him? Remember that song? It's an older song. I only have eyes for you. Remember that? Wow, what a beautiful song. See, there's the spirit of adultery, spiritual adultery. They have, many have eyes full of lust. Book of Jude, Book of Second Peter, right? So they they have wandering hearts and eyes, and they just can't seem to stop lusting after the world. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 14, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. Man, that's some severe language about apostates. Second Peter 2 is all about those who have departed from the faith. Second Peter 2.14, eyes full of adultery, having spiritual adultery, not rooted in Christ, loving choosing to love him more than that which defiles you in the eyes of God, which is sin. So why didn't God just save us and take us to heaven or just do away with the sinful nature, the inherent fallen man, if you will? Paul calls it the old man. 
that must be put off by the daily crucified life, the cross? Probably because God wants a bride that demonstrates that no matter what happens on this earth, they're going to love him. You know, when you marry somebody who endured the espousal period, Matthew 25, 1 through 13, the, all 10 of the virgins, the kingdom of heaven was like unto the 10 virgins, not the kingdom of hell, five, and the kingdom of heaven, five. They all started off and espoused, engaged to the great bridegroom, Jesus, but only five made it. The other five were shut out irrevocably forever out of the eternal bridal chamber with Christ. Interesting. Once saved, always saved. What a lie from hell. You see, the five wise virgins stayed in love with the bridegroom. Amen. How many people know Jesus isn't bringing anybody to heaven that doesn't want to go there? And you got to prove it by enduring to the end in faith, in worship, fighting the good fight of faith. Amen. Laying hold on eternal life like the wise virgins did. See, the person who is going to choose to be pure in heart says with Job, in contrast with those who have eyes full of adultery, spiritual adultery. Job 31.1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Why should I lust after a woman? For what portion of God is there from above and what inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is not destruction to the wicked and a strange punishment to the workers of iniquity? See, Job counted the cost like every godly man and woman will do and said, I don't want this destruction. I don't want to be counted with the wicked. I don't want the punishment that the workers of iniquity are going to receive. So I make a covenant with mine eyes. I'm not going to have eyes full of adultery. I am going to set my affections on Christ, my great bridegroom, whom I am eagerly, expectantly, and fervently waiting for so that we could be married in the new Jerusalem forever and ever and ever. Well, he's going to wipe away from his bride all tears. There'll be no pain, no more sin, nothing negative ever, and just the opposite for the wicked. So he determined, you know, the Bible says, set your heart on things above. It also says, set your heart and your mind to, to seek the Lord your God. It's a decision you have to make. So the apostle Paul had his personal testimony of being saved by the grace of Christ and considered himself less than the least of all saints. In my opinion, this should be the only thing you and I would disagree with Paul on, kind of saying that tongue-in-cheek, as I mentioned earlier. When we get to heaven, we're going to say, Paul, you said that before you knew I was born, brother. Again, Romans seven eighteen. for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, none, zero. Memorize no good thing. There's no, you ought to say it out loud right now. Say it with me. In me is no good thing outside of Christ. No good thing, quote unquote. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Romans seven eighteen. Do we realize that outside of Christ, no good thing, quote unquote, dwells in us? None. Romans seven twenty four again. God forbid, this is the third time I'm quoting this verse. You might just memorize it. Wouldn't that be a shame? Oh, wretched man that I am, that is presently outside of Christ, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? It really is true that Jesus 
saved a wretch like me, like the song said, when he mercifully found and saved me and you. Genesis 6, 5, and 12, further revelation, as all of Scripture testifies to this, God's declaration of sin and death that had fallen upon all men after the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. Genesis 6, verse 5 and 12, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wow. And God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Notice the thought of his heart was only evil continually. In other words, uncontrollably until Christ came. And when he saves you, he circumcises your heart initially and you are a new creature. You're born again. You're regenerated. And now as you walk with Christ, you're able to put off the old man, which is evil according to deceitful lust. How did that go? That's Ephesians 4 and Colossians verse 3. Notice Colossians 3 after speaking of setting our affection on things above and that you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now who's above Christ? The affections of the wise virgins are upon Christ, not upon getting everything they pray for. You know, you ever notice that about the modern church? It's all about getting stuff for ourselves. God's benefits that he loads us with, the book of Psalms 68, 19, cover everything that pertains in the life and godly. I don't want it. Godliness, 2 Peter 1. I don't want to discount those things because God provided for our whole spirit, soul, and body and his blessings. But so very little of anything we study and tend to is the study of Christ and putting our affections on him. We call it Christology, the study of Christ. Surely if Christ truly matters to me, I will study him and I'll be nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine of which Jesus Christ is the central theme of all of Holy Scripture. See, most of the messages we hear in the modern church are surface level at best, just as was foretold through the pen of the prophets and the apostles recorded in Holy Scripture. The topics covered in modern church messages are much about us, just us, our coping, our money, our protection, our comfort, our quote-unquote success, and our future, right? According to the revelation of our Lord Jesus, we will know when the Holy Ghost is truly working in our lives, when we are being led by Him to learn Christ, to seek the Savior, to attend to every aspect of our Lord and His divinity, His life and ministry on earth, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his warnings, his teachings, his soon coming, etc., and all that scripture reveals of Jesus Christ. The central subject of the whole of the Bible is Christ. We know when the Holy Spirit is leading us, when Christ himself is being sought, learned, glorified, not us, when he is leading us, to Christ, that is, the Holy Spirit is leading us to Christ to glorify him, to search out the truth about the Lord who bought us with his own precious blood. Listen to what Jesus said of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the saints. 
Here it is, John chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he, that is the Holy Spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. See, the Holy Spirit, when you're being led by the Spirit, when I'm being led by the Spirit, is glorifying Christ, not us. There is nothing to glorify in us except him. We can be sure that we are truly being led by the Holy Spirit and not another spirit, quote unquote, that Paul warned about in Galatians 1. When Christ is being glorified and not us, not man. Quote, notice again, it says, Jesus said, he shall glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. Oh, and did you notice that Jesus is behind it all? He said this, he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Isn't that interesting? He's going to receive of Christ and show it unto us, and we will be magnifying him. Okay, as we close here, um, there's a meme put out like this. The world says, follow your heart. Jesus said, follow me. Amen. In fact, the Bible says, he that trusts Justice in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 28, 6. So while the world says, follow your heart, that's just totally delusional. Your heart is wicked. Jesus says, follow me. The world says, believe in yourself. Jesus says, believe in me. The world says, discover yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. The world says, be true to you. Jesus says, be true to me. And as you seek first my kingdom, all these other things will be added unto you. Okay, so there's just really so much to be said, so much the Bible says about righteousness and unrighteousness or God's righteousness versus man's filthy rag righteousness. What are you walking in, friend? What are you walking in? Diffusing the iniquity of self-righteousness, which I believe is part of the fallen nature for sure. It's in us and it's going to reign in us unless we crucify it. So diffusing that iniquity of self self-righteousness increases exponentially. When we begin learning the biblical doctrine of fallen mankind, several of the verses of which we have already gone over. Also, Psalm 39, 4 and 5 is another one. It says, man in his very best state is altogether vanity. Wow. We should be saying with the other man that went up to pray, with the two men that went up to pray, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Quote, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We should see ourselves as the most undeserving person. Like like Paul did, of the saving grace of Christ. We should say before our God, with that man who hung his head as he prayed to God and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Luke 18, 13. God calls those whom he saves to relish the great love, forgiveness, grace, and mercy he has shown upon us all while we were yet sinners. Romans 5. This is the disposition of the true disciple, the authentic, broken, poor, and spirit follower of Jesus. In fact, he calls us, God does, to lift up and prefer others above ourselves. Amen. Get your eyes off yourself. You'll be most blessed to do such. You're 
duty as a believer every day is to get up every morning and recalibrate your heart and mind, setting your affection on things above, declaring that you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. You are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, you live yet not you, but Christ that liveth in you in the life which you now live in the flesh. You live by the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Number one, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, not yourself. And then to love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Don't even get me started about all the false teachers who say you need to learn to love yourself. Anybody who's saying that is a wolf. Jesus told nobody to love themselves. That's your biggest problem. He said you deny yourself. You crucify yourself. Your duty on earth is to love God and others. He never said he gave two commandments and he even said it was two commandments. Love God love your neighbor. Your life is all about Jesus and others, not you. Somebody said, it's hard being married. You know why? Because you're not laying down your life. Your spouse is actually a blessing for you to serve in the capacity of a wife that God orders. What's God's role for women? You better find out because there's a whole lot of demonic Jezebels going straight to hell who claim they're spirit-filled Christians. There will be no Jezebel in glory. I can tell you that. Not one. We better get in the word, folks. Hell's full of fools who didn't. Let nothing be done, Philippians 2, 3 through 5, nothing through strife or vain glory, bringing vain glory to ourselves. But in lowliness, get down low, folks, get down low, say, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Wow. Lift them up high, man. Best thing you can do every morning when you're praying is to have a list of people, just one, two, three people start with and be faithful to pray for them according to the scriptures. Okay, let each esteem others, other better than themselves. Not only on your level, you want them to exceed in blessings, God's blessings in their life. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Get out of your own world and go bless somebody else. ABS, always be serving. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. This passage above is a great way that we just read to begin every morning. Those who truly seek and love the Lord, love also all men, having freely received it, the salvation of Christ. They desire to pour out the message of Christ, saving mercy on others. Amen. God is so good. We could go on and on and on. There's so much to discuss that scripture speaks of on this topic. Praise the Lord. Fallen man's utter depravity and need for saving mercy in Jesus Christ is, is a summation. And may God bless us to say with Paul that we're less than the least of all sinners. There's no one less deserving. Nobody. Oh, God, help us. Father, we pray that you would imbue us and bless us to be poor in spirit. Lord, we, we don't even, we know that means desperate for you and let it be, God. But it's much more we imagine and we know you can make that happen in our lives, Lord. Let us be poor in spirit, pure in heart, Lord, and those who hunger and thirst after your righteousness so that we may be filled by you O god in jesus name amen well brothers and sisters it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the word of god and remember there's hundreds of more christ-centered scripture rich edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios there's also a store page with several many books on there for your edification in christ they're all scripture 
rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site, and you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon, and you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so, and a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.